So what I want to talk to you guys today about is, uh, is community and living in community um, with a little bit of a different twist. Did somebody say, oh, man? Come on. No? Okay. <laughs> Thought I heard that in the back. Um, <clears throat> and I specifically want to focus on how we as, as a body of Christ, we deal with our conflict. We resolve our issues with one another. And I think this is a, a, an extremely neglected thing in the body of Christ. And I think it's something that, that really needs attention in the body of Christ because uh, I think we're, as a whole, we're not very good at it. Um, so let's look at uh, community life in the Bible. Acts chapter 2. Who wants to read? Uh, verse 42 through 47. I want to get y'all involved and engaged, so if somebody, somebody wants to read tonight, do it. Right, what is it? Acts 2, 42-47. You catch it, turn right. Well, or I'll read it. 242, I got it. 242-47. I got it. Can I come up here? Come on. Mike. It's Jericho. I didn't plan on all this, but. I can hold it. Is that Chuck? Yeah. It's Chuck. This is a good one. I know. I like it. <clears throat> Jesus, they're all good. <laughs> they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might, be, have, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, I mean, who doesn't think that sounds awesome? Like, right? Community, like signs and wonders, miracles all the time. Everybody's just going like this. Living in awe of what God's doing. Uh, they're, they're breaking gluten-free bread every day as they meet. Hallelujah, Whole Foods down the street. Um, I mean, it just sounds like this perfect utopian society, right? And it's easy when I, I do this, I don't know about you guys, but when I look back at historical accounts, whether it's the Bible or whether it's something else, I can romanticize it and think of it as this perfect thing in time. And I forget that they were humans just like I am. And so sometimes I think it's good for us to know and understand, you know what? They did have some pretty incredible things going on. They did have people being saved. They did get together. They hung out. They had all things in common. But it wasn't always perfect, right? I mean, you have Ananias and Sapphira who, who uh, didn't really buy into the all things common idea, right? And uh, as a result of lying, they paid for it with their life. So, and then you see all these other areas in scripture where Paul is is correcting an argument. He's saying, don't argue about these vain things. Don't say you're of Apollos or you're of Paul. You know, focus on Jesus. Come back together. Did you know that every epistle has a command in it to live in peace? Every single one of them. Um, so this was obviously an important um, thing 
in the New Testament church. It wasn't just this utopian society. While they moved in power, while they had um, uh, uh, this very cool sharing concept where everything had it was in common, um, it wasn't perfect. And I think that's good for us to know as we read the Bible that, hey, oh man, we, we don't have it all together, but you know what? They didn't either, and they still prospered, and God was still moving in. So let me give you an example of uh, some of the, the commands to live in peace. First Thess- Thessalonians 5.13 says, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Um, and they're, again, they're all throughout Scripture, but here's another one. Colossians 3.13-15 says, Bear with one another, and I'm going to stop right there for a second. That word bear... Uh, doesn't mean they're wrestling. Um, it means that they are, that, I looked up the word, it means to endure with somebody. It means to put up with somebody. It means to, uh, to have to endure their personality or the things that they do. And so when I read that, I go, oh, you know what? They, they felt the same way sometimes in community. Like, I got to put up with this person? You know, so Paul is actually saying, yes, go ahead and just endure. I know you don't, I know it's, always not enjoyable, and I know sometimes you rub each other the wrong way, but just, just bear with it. Bear with one another, and forgive one another, which is another important point. If you have any grievances, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Uh, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. <clears throat> and he says, be thankful. <laughs> so this is kind of a picture of community life in the New Testament. Yes, there was some amazing things, but yes, there was also this, this need to tell people to live in peace. Um, and if we can just think of ourselves as community, like I think, there's a, I think that's kind of an issue in the body of Christ. We, we don't take it a step further. We just think of ourselves as members of the church or members of a church. And what that does is that, that makes it very easy for us to walk away from one another. Um, but I think if we'll take it a step further and, th- and think of ourselves as family, then um, it might add a little element to, uh, to our stickiness. <clears throat> so let me give you a couple of scriptures on family. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father! You guys have all been adopted. You ha- all have the same father. Here's another one, Ephesians 2.19. Uh, unless you're Jewish, this appro- uh, really applies to you. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So, guys, we have the same dad. Amen. We're all related. Okay, we're much more than just members of a church that go to the same, in the same room together. Uh, look around. That's your brother. That's your sister. I see a lot more sisters than I do brothers. But, Amen. Come um, on. <laughs> and I mean that in the spiritual sense. Um, so we're, we've all got the same dad. And I, I know that this is not new revelation. Right? Is anybody's mind blown by this? Yes. <laughs> he just turns knobs. That's all he knows how to do. I know this is not groundbreaking information, but why don't we live this way? Why do we treat sometimes our relationships one another as disposable, as something that can just be cast aside when we're annoyed or we're tired or, or whatever? We don't actually live as if we're brothers and sisters. 
Let me tell you a story about a family, and I'll try to change the details so that their identity will be remain. They're not going to go to this church, but um, it was a, a couple that I've known for a long time, and um, great couple. They were in ministry together. They had eight kids together. Um, the the wife decided to kind of get into the acting, and and she's a very pretty woman, and um, started getting some attention and some male attention, and um, after I don't know how many years, 10 years of marriage and eight kids, she decided that uh, she was just gonna leave and pursue her dream and go with another guy. Um, and I think we could all look at that situation and go, that's not right. You know, our justice, our justice meter goes, wait a minute, that shouldn't happen in a family. What, where's your commitment? Where's your sense of responsibility, right? As a mother, eight kids, how can you leave eight kids? Well, how do we do that to each other so often? Come on. When we have a falling out or we have a disagreement, we just say, oh, forget that person, I'm done. And we cut them off. Or we say, I'm out of that church, forget it. It's not even worth it. I can't tell you how many times I've met somebody who has come to a church and said, man, God has called me to this church. This church is amazing. And, uh, you know, a couple months later, I never see them again. Um, because no, they didn't have the family concept. Couldn't, couldn't live in family. How I feel about it is if we're family and we're doing life together. Now, let me tell you, like, not everybody is going to be friends, but we are family. And so when you're family, my view of it is, there's nothing that you can do um, outside of like, you know, killing, a, killing somebody. <laughs> but there's nothing, that, there's nothing that you're gonna do as a Christian that's gonna make me turn away. We can get through anything. I had a friend um, have an argument, um, and it was, it was a kind of a church leadership thing, and he came up to me and said, man, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you worked things out because, um, I thought we were never going to talk again. I was like, what? I mean, how could you even have that? I mean, this is a friend I've had for 10 years. I'm like, how could you even think that? How could you even get to that point? Like, there's nothing that, that could come between us that we can't work out. We can get through it because uh, when there's Christ involved, there's forgiveness. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> so, okay, that's family. I know you guys know family. Like, we've all had our arguments. We've all had our issues, right? So there's always going to be conflict in family. You just can't escape it. Um, let me read you a quote, and it's attributed to a lot of different people, so I don't know who actually first said it. But, peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. <clears throat> and a lot of people, here's how they view conflict. I think it's a matter of perspective. Let's say you've got a group of people. They're on a journey. Uh, they come up to a big old mountain. Um, now, you're probably going to have three different people in this camp who, one, one will say, that's too dangerous, um, it's not worth the risk, let's just, I know it's going to take an extra two weeks to go around it, but let's just go around it, I, I, I just, it's not worth it. Then you're going to have on the other end, you're going to have these other group of people that say, I don't care, let's charge up the hill, we can do it, you know, that macho thing. Uh, with no planning or no, they're just going to go right into it. Uh, and then you'll have another group of people who's, who will sit down and say, let's plan, what, what food do we need? What, let's let's kind of look at this mountain and figure out the best journey. Let's, let's go at it with, a, with some wisdom and some thought. Um, and I think a lot of times that's how we view conflict. There's going to be the camp that says, 
I'm not doing it. I'm avoiding it. I'm going to walk around it. I know it's going to take me longer. I don't care. I'm done. And then you're going to have the other ones that, that charge right in and they want to be right. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be right. And I'm going to tell you I'm right. Um, and then you've got the biblical response of people who will pray through it, ask the Lord how to deal with it, and then actually come and, and deal with that conflict. Matthew 5.9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There again we see that um, being a son or a daughter is associated with peace. So what do children of God do? They make peace. They're peacemakers. And by definition, a peacemaker is a person who brings about peace by reconcil reconciling adversaries. It's somebody that through an action goes out and does something about it. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus just say, be peacekeepers? Why didn't he say, just, just maintain it? You know what I'm saying? He said, be peacemakers, an action, a verb that says, go do something about it. The reason he didn't say, be a peacekeeper is peacekeeping is just maintaining it, and peacekeeping leads to peace faking. You're not going to be a peacemaker, you're going to be a peace faker, because you're just going to pretend like everything's okay, Peace maintaining just stuffs it down and says, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to rock the boat. I don't want to address this issue because I don't want that person to get mad. I don't want them to not like me. So therefore, we're just going to avoid it altogether. <clears throat> so we don't want to be peace fakers. We want to be peacemakers. And a lot of times, those are the same people that have to go around that mountain again because it's the issues in their own heart that sometimes led them to that place. And God's just going to keep putting them in that same situation like the children in the uh, desert. <clears throat> so the concept of reconciliation was so important to Jesus that he says in Matthew 5, before you come and bring your sacrifice, your gift, or your worship, uh, go and make things right. Let me read it to you because there's a couple things I want to pull out of this. If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, this is Matthew 5, 23-24, in the temple, and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So, a couple of things I want to I point out in that. One, having an unresolved offense can actually hinder us, hinder us from worshiping. Have you ever been in a worship service and you just had a fight or you've, you're, you're emotionally charged or you're hurt or you're offended and you try to come in and you try to worship? Mm -hmm. Anybody experience that? Mm -hmm. I know I can't be the only one in here. Um, how successful are you? At, I mean, you might get some, but like most of the time your mind is just playing, playing, playing. Um, so one, one reason is it, is it can hinder us from worship. Two... The second thing I want to pull out of that is God places a higher value on us having peace with one another than he does our sacrifice. He, he is more concerned about you and I loving one another, and I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. He's more concerned with us being one than he is saying, I need, I need this gift. I need something from you. He's like, I want you guys to be good. I want you guys to be one. <clears throat> Okay, the third thing I want to pull out of this is this verse completely ignores fault in this situation. It says, you suddenly remember something that somebody has against you. 
Not you have something against them, although I think that's legitimate as well. It says that um, you have a responsibility regardless, regardless of fault. So if you know that somebody's upset at you, you still have to go make things right. Now, that doesn't seem fair, right? Because a lot of times we can justify ourselves and go, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, that was, and sometimes you can legitimately say that. You know, not, all, not always. Usually there's, it, it takes two, as I say. But sometimes you can actually legitimately say, I didn't do anything wrong in this situation. Um, but that, according to this verse, doesn't really absolve you from any um, responsibility in it, does it? Because God places such a high value on peace in the body. Now here's, here's a couple of benefits to walking in peace. <clears throat> I believe that your witness depends on unity. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You've probably heard the statistic that the divorce rate's just as high as in the church as it is in the world. I actually did some research. It's not completely accurate. Um, the, but people use that, that statistics, and say that, see, Christianity doesn't work. Um, those people's faith doesn't really change them, doesn't really make a difference. So whether that statistic is right or not, um, it's a great example of what the world sees when they see division or they see um, relationships not working out. When they see uh, love not holding people together, they go, see, I, I knew it, your Jesus doesn't work. <clears throat> and really, I mean, honestly, who, want, who can look at a situation or somebody's life that's a wreck and that has broken relationships and they're constantly offending people and say, man, I want that. Let me, uh, let me have your Jesus because uh, your life's awesome. Come on. <clears throat> people will follow and are gravitating to people that are love. People that exemplify love. Yeah. People that have unity and, and carry a sense of peace in their life. So I said I, I could prove it, um, and this is what I think proves it. Um, when Jesus was in the garden, he was in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, and he, he made a final prayer. It was his last prayer on earth. His very last prayer on earth. And, and he could have prayed so many things. He could have said, make Jeremy Shuck wealthy. Come on. <laughs> he could have said... Let Jared's album hit number one on the Christian charts. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he could have he said so many, he could have prayed so many things like, Lord, make my people happy. Make my people rich. God, anyone that follows me, I pray that signs and wonders would just happen all the time. And, you know, he could have prayed anything. And those things would have been perfect and good because it's Jesus. But what did he pray? In John 17, 20 through 23, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. His very last prayer on earth. Could have prayed anything. He prayed that we would be one. He prayed that we would be in unity. 
And he says, that's how the world's going to know that I'm for real, that I'm the real deal. The world's going to know that I came because my people love each other, because they're one. I think that's so powerful. <clears throat> so one of the benefits to walking in unity and peace is that our witness is, is that much more powerful. We actually have a platform of evangelism. Uh, the second one is I believe the church walks in more power. Let me give you this little, um, I can't remember what these are called, but peace is to war as unity is to division. You guys remember a couple years back, um, Libya was going through that, that war. And um, around the same time, Japan had that tsunami. Um, and what happened in Libya is because of the looting and the chaos and the rioting of what was going on, all the economies around them started to suffer. Um, and they were looking at Japan after that tsunami and they said, you know what, we don't think that's going to happen in Japan because they're much more peaceful. Um, they're not going to riot, they're not going to loot. Uh, so therefore, we're, we're not worried about their economy. And so I thought that was a really interesting picture in the, in just in, the, in our real world of how the difference between chaos and peace, and we're not even talking about quote-unquote Christian nations, we're talking about just people. Um, so even, even in our economy, even in our, our, our natural sense, we can look and say, chaos, destruction, peace, blessing. And I think that the same applies to us. Um, when we walk in peace with one another, we walk in unity. And when we have unity, we have power. When we're at war with each other, there's division. And Jesus had, had a few things. It's funny. Jesus had a few things to say about uh, division. He said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Right? So when there's division, we actually walk in less power. And Deuteronomy 32.30 says, one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. That's right. Amen. <laughs> and just a couple more examples, scriptural examples. Matthew 18 says that if two or more agree on, on earth, on anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. And then in 2 Chronicles 5, if you guys know this story, this is one of my favorite. Uh, they're, the, it, the priests are in the, the temple, and they're, they're playing, the, the, and they're singing. And it says that they, they, uh, they did it in unison. It says, in unison they gave praise and thanks to the Lord, singing, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple was filled with the cloud, and the priests couldn't perform their services because of the cloud of the glory. I, I believe in that passage that, that it was the unity of their praise that brought the power so thick that they couldn't even stand. Mm -hmm. And some of you may have heard this testimony already, but I'll tell it again. Um, in life groups years ago, uh, we were in the living room, and I said, I just want to experiment, because we were doing, I was thinking about this unity thing, and I said, I want to experiment, experiment real quick. I want everybody, we're going to sing the same line, and I want everybody to sing it with me, and let's just go for it. And uh, we started singing and singing, and all of a sudden, you just felt this thing rise up, and there was a girl in the living room um, that had never experienced the Holy Spirit. She was, a, she was a believer, but she had never felt God's presence. In fact, she didn't even know if it was a real deal. Um, so we start singing this, and you can feel it just rise up. 
And I'm, I'm up, I'm playing. I'm like, you guys feel that? You guys feel that? And I look over at her on the couch. She's like, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just a really powerful testimony and example of, of what can happen when we're unified. I really believe that there's power in that. So <clears throat> when we're unified and we walk in peace, our witness, our witness gives, has credibility. We walk in more power. And I believe the, the, one of the last benefits of walking in peace and unity is the whole iron sharpens iron. You guys have heard that a million times. Let me give you a different spin on this. <clears throat> a couple years back, uh, this guy gave me a rock. And I know that sounds weird, but it's a, the, the prophetic symbolism behind it is a whole other 30-minute story by itself, so I won't tell it. But uh, it was, I, I, I got this rock, and I thought, it's about this, about this big, and uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to buy this rock tumbler, and I'm going to uh, put it in this rock tumbler, and I'm going to make it this really cool, smooth stone. It didn't quite work out that way. In fact, it went from this size to like this size, and I like I better stop or it's going to disappear. Uh, so I pulled it out. But <laughs> uh, if it works correctly, it's supposed to come out smooth and polished, and it only takes about two weeks. Um, and I thought that was a pretty interesting concept because if I take a rock and I throw it into the river, and and I wait, I'm going to have to wait, you know, years for that rock to become smooth, a long time. And, and, and it was a really powerful example and testimony to me of, of how we, when we're walking in unity, how we can smooth each other out. Because what happens in that rock tumbler is there's a whole bunch of other rocks in there and they're hitting each other and they're bouncing and they're knocking each other. And there's a little bit of water in there too. And what happens is those rocks bumping and knocking into each other accelerates the process of them getting smooth. Whereas if I threw it in the river, it's going to take, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years of just the water. The water. So, That's good. you know what? We can sit in the river, and the Lord's going to be good, and He's going to bless us, and we're going to get good stuff. But you know what? I think we're changed faster yeah. by living in a community. Yeah. By walking in community with one another. Because then we get to... <laughs> bump elbows, we get to knock those sharp edges off of each other. And it's not a fun process always. But in the long run, if we will submit to it and we will uh, do it in a biblical way, then the Lord accelerates what He wants to do in our life and He matures us in a way that we could not be matured otherwise That's without living in community.